The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. It's about trust. Yeah, yeah. It's about faith. It's about trust. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. Your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel and she privately mediates business, employment, divorce, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Marie's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI. She also trains corporate leaders powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit ConflictHealing.com. Samari, who's your guest today? We have a wonderful guest coming to us from the East Coast, actually from Kentucky. He is a professor at the University of Kentucky. We're speaking with Richard H. Smith, Ph.D., and his research is on social emotions such as awe, envy, and schadenfreude, which we're going to talk about. He has edited a volume on envy, called Envy Theory and Research by Oxford University Press. And his recent book that I have right in front of me that I've been reading is called The Joy of Pain, Schadenfreude and the Dark Side of Human Nature. And that is uh, came out just in 2013, so we're really thrilled to have him. I love the cover. It's got this happy face uh, that's in yellow and then another happy face in red. It's pretty funny. So uh, fascinating. So thank you, Richard, for joining us from uh, down south. Um, my, my pleasure. Uh, the folks at Oxford would be very happy to hear you say that about the cover because they worked long and hard on it. It's and great. They were, they were proud of it, and I thought it was a great cover, too. Yeah, it's funny. It, it kind of pulled me in right away. So, let's first tell my audience, what is schadenfreude? Schadenfreude is simply um, pleasure at the suffering or pain of others, and very very straightforward emotion, but actually quite difficult to to really understand fully, but uh, that's, that's what it is, and obviously, you know, people feel ambivalent about it because it's not a nice emotion to feel, but... A lot of the research suggests it's something we feel quite a lot, even so. Uh, and but that's that's the simple way of thinking about it. Yeah. So why do we feel Schadenfreude? Well, the the research tends to focus on a number of pretty straightforward causes, but it, for, to my mind, I think it, a lot of it just essentially comes down to the fact that so many times another person's misfortune actually leads to our gain in some way. It could mm-hmm. be psychological gain, it could be actual gain, but when that happens, it's only natural to feel some sort of pleasure over that gain. Uh, yeah. A lot of times, you know, we feel ambivalent about it because the, the, the gain is, in fact, at someone else's expense, and we're not supposed to feel good, 
But nonetheless, the psychological reality is that the gain is something that feels good. Right. Uh, so that's, that's one of the main conditions. Um, another really uh, focus on a lot is justice. Uh, mm. A lot of times, even though that person's suffering and it's a real suffering, the fact is they also kind of deserve it. Mm. And uh, human beings, and we love it when justice happens and it's a, it's a very strong motive and if it happens also when someone's also suffering well it's still justice being served so it can be pleasing um, so those I think are the two main reasons yeah you have a quote and uh, you have in chapter two I love this quote by Mark Twain it's uh let us be thankful for the fools, but for them, the rest of us would not succeed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, and that, and that uh, zeroes in on how how subtle the nature of the gain can be, because a lot of times it can simply be a boost based on a social comparison. Uh, social psychologists like to point out a lot of our self-evaluations come from how we compare with others, and a lot of things are essentially relative. How do you know whether you can run fast? Well, you, you, you run around the track and see your time, but that's not enough. You have to run better than other people to conclude that you're actually a good runner. It's, it's kind of a relativistic judgment. If that's true, and in many cases it is, then any time somebody else suffers in a comparative way, there's potential for a boost to the self. Uh, and doesn't mean you're necessarily going to feel good over that pain, but psychologically, you may feel better about who you are in terms of your abilities, and that's ple- that's pleasing. Uh, yeah. So um, there's a, a, a good joke, I think, that kind of captures it. Uh, you probably heard this of the two uh, campers uh, in the wilderness, and they get confronted by a grizzly bear. Oh yeah, and, right. You just have to run faster. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's it's it, that that's, that captures that essential truth of the matter. That in many cases it's, it's a relativistic uh, issue. It's not. I mean, if you're interested in a in a woman, you're a man, and you're in love with a woman, and and she has two options, and the rival is better than you in all the ways that are going to be important to her. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you may be great, but if someone's greater, then, you know the chances are that you're not going to fare well in that that uh, that game. So that's uh, just a you know, brute reality. Uh, Richard, I'm just wondering. You know, it's that's in a competitive society. You know, exactly. we're yeah. a very competitive society, and I'm wondering if it is different in a less competitive society. If there's that that sense of a Schadenfreude, you know? Yeah, I agree. It's, it it would be to the extent that the society, culture, or particular group is competitive, Schadenfreude and emotions akin to it are going to be more likely and more intense. And yeah, the, the cultures vary on that. Uh, companies vary on that. You know, communities in places mm-hmm. where you want to work is vary. So, yeah, I, I agree. the The evolutionary point of view is though that the, is that the bottom line is that most of life is though competitive to some degree, mm-hmm. and so there's really no getting around it. The mating game is just one example. Uh, right. You could you could be in a very nice community, everybody loves each other, and so forth, uh, but the fact is, 
that woman's only going to marry one man. Right. Uh, so it's, you know, it's... It, uh, Natural, uh, naturally, it's yeah. happening. Yeah, it happens in the animal world, yeah. and it happens there. Um, I thought it was interesting that schadenfreude is a German word, and we don't have that word that, you know, I mean, it's made up of, of two words, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's um, joy and, and what is pain. it? Joy, a, joy and pain, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Freud, joy, and then schaden, uh, pain. Uh, you know, it's hard to know exactly why that's the case. People speculate that, that there may be something about German mentality, culture, that encourages these type of words. But it, they are uh, words for, sh- for schadenfreude, type emotions in other cultures and other languages. Uh, Japanese have the word, Chinese, and the, there are more examples of, that one can point to. So it's, it starts being hard to figure out that maybe something about Germans... Uh, I think part of it is that the German language is just lends itself to creating these compound words, and mm. so whereas English quite not so, not so much, I think we English uh, sort of adopts other words perhaps more easily. Um, but um, so I think that's 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 part of it. When you were talking about Chinese words, you know, I, I have on my website when you know because this is a, a conflict is yeah. uh, in Chinese conflict that the two words in Chinese are uh, conflict is made up of two words, um, danger and opportunity. Oh, so you, yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. So they they have two symbols, and so conflict could be a danger or it could be an opportunity, and. You know, conflict is change, and and any kind of contest causes some kind of a change, and so it can be an opportunity, or it can escalate into horrible stuff. And uh, so I thought it, that that's a compound word in Chinese. So you said that they, they had a word similar in Chinese. It's funny that we don't have yeah. that in our country yet. There, you give tons of examples and. Um, so, yeah, but I, I want to get back to the German word, and, and you were t- we were talking just before the show started about um, and what happened in Nazi Germany. Could you kind of tell that story that you were talking to me about? Well, the particular case of Schadenfreude in Nazi Germany is kind of the, the, the darkest example I gave in the, in the book. Yeah, most of them are, are lighter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But um, the reason why I emphasized it in that chapter is that I think that emotions like schadenfreude, if if they're not, you might say, nipped in the bud, or if one fails to sort of discourage them, they it, it can sort of tend towards something darker. Uh, so you would never raise a child, for example. Let's say your your kid is, is laughing over someone's misfortune. You wouldn't say, oh, "Great, Johnny, keep that up next right. time." You know, if you think. Well, let's let's look at the person's uh, situation. Maybe uh, we should empathize with them if we understand why they're suffering, and, and so on. Right. So, and with the Germans, uh, because of their attitude towards the Jews, the Nazis rather than the Germans, all Germans, yeah. of course. Yeah. Uh, and in the book, I suggest that a lot of it has to, had to do with envy. Right. Uh, that they were motivated to discriminate and mistreat Jews because of that that envious attitude. And there's a lot more to it, but that's the mm-hmm. part that I emphasize in the chapter. Then it predisposed them to feel good 
when even they even inflicted the suffering, certainly when they saw the suffering. And then once you're feeling good over something bad happening to another group, the next step can be even worse. Now you start thinking, well, it's okay to do things like what the Nazis end up doing. Because right. the, the attitude of pleasure with some of the suffering is it, it, it predicts worse if it's, if it's uh, fostered. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, a, it's, it's an emotion that, that is real, but I think it's also a very dangerous emotion. And I was telling you before, you know, when I was reading your book, what came up for me was when on 9-11, when we were in Asia and um, we were in Thailand, the Thai people are very, very sweet, but we picked up the, the uh, Wall Street Journal, the Asian Wall Street Journal, and I could not believe the letters to the editor that were saying, oh, the Americans deserve that. They deserve that. You know, it was more of like this envy and this kind of sick justice. And it was it was uh, pretty much freaking me out <laughs> because yeah, I couldn't believe that, the, that they wouldn't have empathy. And then we go to we left and we went to Bali and there was so much empathy. It was just a different type of culture. It's very non-competitive, very, you know, different things. You know, they're all Hindu and their Hindu religion is if you are doing well, you know, you you, you have a good country that is wealthy, then it must have all those people must have been having a good life. They must have been good in a previous life. So there was so much empathy. So what a dichotomy going from seeing that Asian to the Balinese and just seeing that kind of fraud and uh, that schadenfreude to to having kind of like some joy out of what we were suffering. It just I just think it's um it's a weird emotion, yeah. A striking example. Uh, I, I, I don't think I heard quite a interesting sort of juxtaposing of these two different uh, uh, emotions. The same event. That's really, really quite striking. Yeah, uh, it was. It was a very strange thing. But you know, I think when we talk about emotions inside, and here you are, a professor of psychology. You you know this better than I do. Although I do have a master's in psychology, <laughs> it helps me with my mediation. I can tell you that. Um, but. But I do think when we have these negative emotions, we we have inner conflict about it. I know you talk about that in your book too. That you know um, we may we may get this joy, but at the same time we feel guilty. You know, recently we heard about Brian Williams, and everybody was making these funny things on Facebook where they said he said he was with Lincoln. You see him a picture yeah. of him with Lincoln, or a picture with him, you know, uh, going over the Potomac. With Washington. <laughs> I mean, everybody's making a big joke out of it. That yeah, now all these other stories that they said, oh, this is where he said he was, um, but here he was very successful. Right? Yeah. Very on top of everything. Handsome, wealthy, everything. And then this happened. And, you know, but I think it's like, I don't know, for me, I, I, I really feel sorry for him. And I, I mean, I laugh at these things because they're funny. But yeah. there's like these inner emotions that I've got my own inner conflict going on. And then you talk in the book about how you might feel guilty for feeling a certain way. So how does that all work? Well, you know, it's it- Complicated. And I, the first thing I was thinking about, especially with politics, it brings in the intergroup aspect of how one responds to a particular event, like with uh, Williams. And it, you know, the political vantage point tends to predict whether you think it's going to be really funny or you're going to feel empathy. Uh, overall, 
most of us don't feel completely comfortable with feeling happy over anyone's misfortune, but if the intergroup aspect comes into play, then the empathy uh, aspect tends to kind of dissipate a little bit. So I was talking to someone the other day who was a more conservative Republican, for example, and when he was thinking about uh, Brian Williams, he was very, very happy because he perceived Williams to have a, a liberal bias. Mm, I uh, see. Mm-hmm. And then I was talking to someone else who probably more in the liberal uh, camp, so to speak, and he was saying, well, let's face it, we all lie to some degree, and let's give him a break. You know, so he was feeling sorry. So, uh, But the first person I thought was seeing it as, us versus them, you know, right. uh, conservative versus liberal, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so they, it, it made it more difficult to feel the natural human emotion of empathy. It was more, uh, he got what he deserved because he's a liar, blah, blah, blah. Right. And, so, uh, and that was the mentality. And so certainly the research shows that when things become to work at a group level, we see this a lot with sports. Uh, we've done research on fandom and and. Kentucky fans who are really highly identified with University of Kentucky, that they, the, the wins and losses of the team just mean more. And we've shown that in some cases, you know, they may feel a little happy even over injury happening to another player in opposing team, especially Duke. Right, right, right. And, uh, so now you don't want to make too much of it, but there's no question: the more they identify with the team and with Kentucky, the more likely. They are to actually feel more shot in front, less empathy and sympathy for that the injury. So the, the group aspect of it really makes makes a difference. Uh, the inner group aspect, especially, and you see that with your example uh, with the ties. That, in addition to perhaps envy over United States, there was probably some other things going on, religious differences, and so forth, that sort of maximize us versus them, and so. Yeah. Pretty more likely for that sort of negative emotion. So, but I think you're bringing up such an important point because people would say, like going back to the Nazi era, that people will go, "How is it that the, that nobody stopped them from from these atrocities?" Right? Yeah. But I, I think what you were saying is really pretty powerful. That you know that that you've got this Schadenfreude, and then you've got. Um, okay, so maybe they're jealous that the 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 Jews were, you know, a lot of more educated. Yeah. They were they were good business people, and they had art. They had collected, you know, they they stole the arts. The Nazis stole their art. They stole all their things from them. They were jealous. They were envious, and then you know the empathy that somebody might have. They were best friends, you know. They used to go to their store, and then all of a sudden they're not best friends because the whole group mind of this of this joy versus pain thing came up and then there was the empathy just went went away it's just yeah, it, it's with when what I, I try to point out in the book is when envy jealousy is part of the equation it really complicates matters a lot uh, in terms of the person feeling the emotion and then understanding they're shot for it because Envy is a very threatening emotion to feel because if you say and acknowledge yourself that you envy somebody, you're basically saying at least two things. I feel inferior. Right. And also, I may be feeling hostile towards you because... I don't have what you have, yeah. Yeah. And the German, the Nazis especially, had 
a, a sense of superiority, the Aryan superiority, right. which was very much threatened, I would imagine, by successful Jews. So in order to maintain that sense of Aryan superiority, the Jewish success just flew in the face of that. Yeah. And very threatening to, to, to see envy as operating. So instead, all these negative stereotypes about Jews were propagated instead. So instead of a smart Jew, you have a clever, sneaky Jew. Right, right, uh, right, all the propaganda, and, right. And so then, then if you see someone as sneaky, then you don't have to say, I'm actually envious anymore, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then all that helps generate more negative feelings and a justification for whatever you might want to do to that group. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they just deserve it now because they are they have all these nasty traits uh, and underlying it though at least part of it can actually be the the unacknowledged envy which fuels the process to some degree right uh, so what better way to deal with one's envy if it's there and you don't want to acknowledge it but to get rid of the cause of your envy mm. and the elimination of the Jews was a, you could argue at least, yeah. the, the best therapy for the envious Nazi. Right. They don't, they're not there anymore. Right. So you don't have to, to feel envy. Uh, right. So, of course, it was a, a kind of a cutting one's nose off to, but because in a way, a lot of the, the Jewish scientists, for example, if they had not been mistreated, yeah, Nazis Einstein. Could have gotten the atomic <laughs> bomb first. So, right. I mean, so, you're talking about Einstein. They had all these yeah. brilliant Jewish scientists that left. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's also one thing often claimed about envy. It's a kind of emotion which, because the relative difference between the self and the other looms largest in one's uh, consciousness, so to speak, yeah. uh, you're willing to actually hurt your own outcomes just to deal with the envy. Yeah. Uh, and. So that you, I think the Nazis, you could argue, is a pretty classic case of that because they, uh, the sort of preoccupation with the Jews ultimately uh, caused them to suffer. Yeah. You know? And so. we've seen other holocausts that are similar. So, so I guess, you know, when you're studying all this, I mean, the purpose really is to understand it. And maybe, you know, since it can be very negative, obviously it's not healthy for us to... Um, in many ways, I mean, there's some healthy part of it because then we we strive to succeed, but I mean, the dark side is not healthy. So, what can we do to reduce tendencies to feel that Schadenfreude? Well, the the way I like to emphasize this uh, is, in, we have a tendency generally to when when someone fails in some way to see it as caused by something within them, some kind of dispositional cause, and to blame them, for example. Uh-huh. And to the extent that we blame them, then they, in a sense, deserve their misfortune. Right. And people who have a tendency not to feel shot or fight, who are avoided, for one reason or the other, are able to step back from a situation and see the, the other factors in explaining someone's failure. Uh, contextual factors, situational factors, and when, in a, in a sense, they're putting themselves in the shoes of the person who's failed. Right. And when you do that, you almost become that person to some degree, and you have a natural empathy because you understand more why they failed. And so, by focusing on those situational factors, you can, in a sense, say, "Well, all right, uh, 
I feel bad for them because of those factors rather than they deserve it. There, right. something within them caused it to happen. Right. Uh, so you have so, to kind of get out of your own ego, yeah, don't you? Exactly. You really have to get to your higher self. You know, I, I, I found myself thinking about when I was reading about you talked about Tiger Woods, how he was, you know, the golden boy, you know, he was a great golfer, had a gorgeous wife, had everything, had money, had charisma, all the kids wanted to be like him, all of his foundations and everything like that. And then, of course, him and his prostitutes or whatever he had around him, yeah. <laughs> you know, he fell off of his pedestal. And, um, you know, it, it uh, there, was, there wasn't a lot of empathy or sympathy for him. No, and it, it, in Tiger Woods' case, it's, it's probably some combination of the envy and the sense of deservingness. I, I like uh, Lincoln, an example, mm-hmm. uh, to get back to your question about what one can do about Because Lincoln is a nice model because, oh, I mean, the kind of things you hear that Lincoln would have said is, is a, one favorite quote is, he said, I don't like this person. I need to get to know him better. Yes. Uh, so he... He nipped his dislike in the bud and said, why am I not liking this person? It must be because I don't know them well enough, right? Mm-hmm. And he was someone who didn't blame the alcoholic, as another example that's often mentioned, because uh, there were a lot of people who uh, did drink too much, and he didn't blame people for their problems with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't a, a drinker himself, but he, could, he knew that it could, how it could get a hold on people and and ruin their lives, not necessarily because of their own fault. But he had empathy for the alcoholic rather than contempt. And in general, that was the way he, he was about other people's uh, troubles. For some reason, he was able to almost naturally to think in terms of these situational factors. Now, most of us probably don't do it so naturally, but we can encourage it in ourselves. Yeah, and I think that needs to be taught. You know, I'm so glad that you're teaching, and I should just mention your name again if you're just listening in. We're speaking with Richard H. Smith, Ph.D., who's a professor of psychology at the University of Kentucky, and he's written this fascinating book, The Joy of Pain, Schadenfreude and the Dark Side of Human Nature. And, you know, here we are talking, this is the genre is, you know, healing conflict and prescriptions for healing conflict. And I think... You know, like um, Bird, uh, Berbert's, uh, what's his name? <laughs> My mind just went bang. But um, they said, uh, Martin Berber said, all conflict starts from within. So we have to really, work, we have to kind of observe and be mindful of what we're thinking, right? Yeah, exactly. And then and you could argue, though, Schadenfreude is a very natural human emotion. We shouldn't browbeat ourselves if, if, it, ar- if it arises in us. However... It, it's kind of a potentially a little bit of a red flag that you're going down an emotional route that's ultimately not going to be very healthy. And you, know, you want to kind of reel it in and understand it and ask yourself, why, why am I feeling it? Maybe I'm not appreciating the situational factors, for example, that are causing someone suffering. Or maybe my envy is at the root of it, and maybe I should look at myself say, why am I envious? And maybe there's something I can do to improve my situation so I don't, I'm not so predisposed to envy somebody and then to feel shot and when they suffer. Uh, so, uh, 
But I think TV really kind of encourages this uh, schadenfreude because you've got all these reality TV yeah. shows yeah. that these people are like, oh my God, you know, we could look at them and say, they're so crazy. Thank God I'm sane. You know, <laughs> I look yeah. at the housewives of Orange County because I live in Orange County, you know, and I think, oh my gosh, you know, they're so plastic, you know, and, you know, they don't think and they're fighting among each other all the time. And, you know, I don't know. It doesn't, I mean, it makes me think of myself as, oh, thank God I'm sane, you know, thank God I'm not like that. But so I guess that's some kind of a shot and fried myself. But I don't like that. I don't think we're teaching empathy at all. Uh, so the, a lot of those shows are sort of aimed at the lowest common denominator of um, appealing to people's, uh, you know, baser instincts, emotions, and so forth. And and unless one probably kind of is aware of that and kind of tries to work against it, yeah, it, it can kind of feed on itself, and then you end up not liking at all what you're, who you are. That's right. Well, would you believe it's it's time? So I just want to thank you so much, Richard Smith, who wrote The Joy of Pain, Schadenfreude, and The Dark Side of Human Nature. So thank you so much for joining us. I hope that uh, you tell us about your next book that'll come out. Well, it was a lot of fun, and I appreciate what you, you do with your line of work. It's uh, kudos to you. Uh, well, kudos to you, too. Let's bring yeah. some empathy back into the world. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, talk to you later. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thank you. expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.